All right, Ben, Mike, Minnesota Vikings clean house by firing Mike Zimmer and Rick Spielman. I got to start at the top, Ben, by commending you for the verb that you chose at the top of your story for that detonate. They detonated the football side of their operations. Um, I don't think there's much surprise that Mike Zimmer was gone. Uh, we talked about that as inevitability. inevitability. However, to see them do that with Rick Spielman as well. Um, ben, how did Rick take that? Because it sounded like from what you heard, uh, he was kind of, what, what, what was the word? I'll let you speak for your report. Uh, the word I heard was blindsided. Uh, there had been a lot of talk about Rick Spielman getting promoted. Um, I'm not sure how serious that was based on what I've heard this week. I think that may have been something that um, the Spielman camp was floating around to the national media uh, over the, the last week or couple of weeks. But there was certainly that thought that he might stay or, or get promoted. Um, I talked to somebody, somebody somebody on Sunday night about that theory, and they said, I don't think that's where it's going to go. I, I think he's either staying in the GM role or he's gone. Um, it's, but it sounded like Monday morning he expected to find out Mike Zimmer was leaving and okay, then I'm going to go and, you know, onto my next thing and help find the next coach. And then he finds out, no, actually it's both of you. So I don't think he was expecting that. And he was, sounds like fairly emotional when he talked with the team on Monday about it, thanking players, coaches, staff for all their hard work over the 16 years he'd been there. It sounded like had some, um, you know, you've been in somewhere for that long, the goodbyes are going to be emotional. And it sounds like there was certainly some of those kinds of one-on-one -on -one conversations on Monday for Rick Spielman. Um, Mike Zimmer, I think we kind of knew was going to be fired, but the Rick Spielman part of things, at least the way it had been looking was that he might stay in some capacity, but uh, yeah, it, it started for me to switch Sunday night. And it was kind of like, okay, maybe this is actually going to happen. And then Monday morning, of course it did. And there's a lot to unpack there because right after that happened, we heard from players talking about Rick Spielman addressing the team, um, but not Mike Zimmer. Mike Zimmer did not address the team at TCO performance center. As far as we knew as of Monday afternoon, um, and then he later issued a statement um, saying that he poured his heart and soul into this team and all that. Um, but Ben and Mike, we both heard from Kendricks and Brian O'Neill, and they were pretty candid about, um, you know, just what they want to see moving forward and kind of speaking about what they were lacking under Mike Zimmer without saying it, by just saying what they want to have in the future. And Kendricks remarked that he doesn't think a fear-based organization is the way to go, is, is the one that really stood out. I think to everybody and it's no shock. It's not, it's not a surprise to anybody that Mike Zimmer, you know, ruled with an iron fist, but um, to see it kind of so pervasive and affecting a key defender like Eric Kendricks an all pro defender who, as far as the public knew, there were really no issues between him and Zimmer that at least that I knew about. Um, so I, I wonder, I guess, Mike, First with you, what was your reaction when you heard those comments and just seeing the fallout right away from these moves? I was surprised by the comments a little bit just because it's not what we're used to hearing when someone's fired. Usually you hear, uh, we didn't get it done. We, we, you know, if, if we had played better, this guy would still have his job. And, you know, this probably was, was some of that. And I don't think it was all, you know, I don't think they were, were, you know, dumping all over Mike Zimmer, but, you know, there were some pretty, pointed comments about about the culture and even Kendrick saying, you know, asked about kind of his relationship with Zimmer saying, yeah, there's some stuff that, you know, just kind of 
kind of still still out there. You might have to ask Mike Zimmer about that, which was a pretty interesting way to answer that question. I thought it was interesting too when he said um, in the aftermath, and he was talking with the media on Monday afternoon, so it hadn't been too long, but that he had already talked to Rick Spielman and he had talked to Adam Zimmer, but he had not yet talked to Mike Zimmer at that point. And if there was a better relationship there, you imagine that your best, you know, one of your best defensive players might have had communication with the head coach, at least by that point. So all of those things were interesting. And I think some of the stuff coming out about the culture, um, it, while maybe not shocking, a lot of the stuff usually comes out months later in kind of off the record or, in, you know, not for, you know, not on the record sourcing. And so for that to be kind of a day one part of the story was, was definitely interesting to me and makes me wonder a little bit more about what it was really like inside the building. And Ben, these comments came a day after Anthony Barr was really the only player that voiced his support pretty strongly for Zimmer. Other players like Adam Thielen voiced their support. Brian O'Neill did say, I've got the utmost respect for both of those guys and Zimmer and Spielman. Um, But at the same time, you and I had been talking earlier today about all the things that go back over the years with Mike Zimmer and just this long laundry list. And the more you think about it, the longer the list kind of gets and you start to add it all up and realize, wow, this is because it's hard when you're reporting on the team because so much of this is just football, right? It's, it's it's militarized. This is just the attitude. It's the culture, but how much is too much. And when you hear directly from the players like this, that no, it was too much at times. um, I I thought that was very, very telling, obviously. Yeah. And we've heard so much of this over the years. And the thing is, why does it all come out now? Well, it's, it's fairly obvious. I mean, if any of us were asked in a, on the record situation that was broadcast to the world. What do you think of your boss? I don't know how many people are going to come on and say, ah, can't stand the guy. He's awful to work for. Um, I, I really love it. If somebody else would come in here, I mean, nobody's going to do that. So you have to take with a grain of salt when players talk about these things while the guy is still there, but you hear a lot and everybody, I, I get it. Um, when people talk about how they don't like anonymous sources, I, I get it, but you're asking people to tell you things honestly in situations that are sensitive for their own livelihoods. So that is part of the reason things end up without names attached to them. And we can both tell you, Andrew and I can both tell you, we have heard this a lot over the last eight years, just different things in terms of, um, Practice habits in terms of how far you push players, um, you know, players saying at times, hey, can we pull back? And then they're not really being much of a, an audience for that I, until this year. I think we'd say Mike Zimmer was, I think, more receptive to that this year and probably begrudgingly so by his own admission. But it was things like the comments he would make publicly and then probably even sometimes privately where players, it, it rubbed a lot of players the wrong way. And there were certain guys that, I think thrived on that stuff, thrived on the challenge. Harrison Smith, I think, was a guy that was very much in Mike Zimmer's corner. Uh, I think thrived on the the sort of pokes with a stick that Zimmer would give him, saying, hey, you're not as good as Darren Woodson. I mean, all this kind of stuff. I, I think Smith generally took that in fairly good manner. But uh, for some guys, it was not appreciated. And that, over time, I, I, it's one of those things, I think, when you're winning – People are going to be like, okay, um, this is how he is. That's fine. It's not great. I don't love it. But 
we're winning games, so I'm not going to make a fuss about it. When you start losing and losing consistently, it becomes a lot harder to put up with it. And I think that's where we ended up is players eventually saying, you know what, this is not a great culture. And uh, I don't want the next person to be like that again. I think Ben, you've mentioned in the past podcast, there were times players were like, Hey, let's scale back here and not go all out in November in the middle of the season. And Mike Zimmer saying no, and, or just leaving, you know, those, those requests falling on deaf ears. Yeah, it was sort of, it was that. And I think there was certainly at times I've heard, he said to captains, basically in so many words, if I wanted your opinion, I'd give it to you. And, you know, the idea that your job as a captain is to tell the rest of the team what I, what my message to them is and to be kind of my emissary. It's not to tell me what the players want to do and how the players are feeling. And uh, I, I know for a fact that he had a conversation very much along those lines with one of his captains on this habit of practice stuff. Yeah. And then it was stuff like, I remember one of the things that popped up to my head when we were going through um, issues in the past with players, his decisions to play guys in games that didn't matter, like the end of 2019, where yep. um, he's mad at the way they had played on defense, I think, in, in coverage in the game prior. Exactly. And so he, among the, among the few guys he plays are the two corners, Mackenzie Alexander and Mike Hughes. And both those guys end up suffering or, or making worse injuries that they had been playing through in that game. So much so that I remember Mackenzie Alexander had basically been talking about his free agency going into the playoffs. Yep. I was already looking forward to like, yep, can't wait to get out of here. And J. Ron Curse was the same way, although J. Ron put himself in some situations um, that led to his absence or, or his exit in Minnesota. I heard in that game too. Yeah, and then Hughes, obviously, with that neck injury and then and the way that was handled, there's some uh, questions surrounding that. So um, I think just in general, there's these things that kind of you piece it together. And I remember him calling his offensive line soft in 2016. And the way that resonated with that room, um, I remember I, from reporting on Tony Sperano after his passing, guys basically said um, – Jeremiah Searles called Tony Sperano a shield for that entire room of like, he would go up there and take bullets for us. Zimmer would be yelling at him for an hour about the way they played. Um, and, and he would be that guy, that, that intermediary. And that's not to say it's too different from other head coaches, but Tony Sperano would turn around and have a gentle hand with these guys. He would pull them into the room. He would ask them about their families, their wives. He would have an interest in them as a person. And Brian O'Neill basically said the other day that none of these coaches would say hi in the hallway. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it's at a point where they think that's that's how small the change needs to get to. So it's about workplace culture. It's about these little things that add up over time. And so I'm sure there are fights that we don't know about. I'm sure there are big blow ups and things that happened as well. But it's it's that day to day stuff that as we're around it, you step back and kind of see the forest for the trees a little bit. And then Kendricks puts a label on it there by calling it a fear based organization. Well, and back in the day, like that was kind of the only culture in the NFL, right? This was, you didn't have a lot of player coaches, you know, 20, 30 years ago. And now a lot of these guys have experienced other styles, other places, whether it's in college, whether it's with different, you know, pro teams before they come to the Vikings and they know it can be a different way. And they're saying that this is kind of how we want it. And there's the players have a certain amount of command over things these days that they probably didn't have before. So not, not afraid to say, 
this isn't the way it has to be. And this is not the way we want it to be. We want a different workplace culture to come into. So it's an interesting dynamic for sure. And I think it's going to inform the kind of coach they ultimately hire, which I suppose we'll get to at a certain point here too. Well, and I, I think I remember writing about this when they, before they hired Zimmer, um, that new coaches were going to have to learn how to manage millennials. Like this was going to become a, a a big part of the job going forward. I, I wrote that. I remember at ESPN and people kind of, I had a few people kind of roll their eyes. Like really, this is going to be a thing. Like, yeah, it's going to be a thing. And at this point, millennials are getting to be older players. Now you're dealing with Gen Z, which millennials are kind of known for while well, we want affirmation, we want to be patted on the head. We want to be told we did a great job. Um, and then Gen Z, it, it tends to be more about um, I want your input. I, yeah. I want you to tell me what you think. I want this to be a collaborative relationship. You heard that word a lot the other day, this thing of, I, I want to be involved in this process and almost work with you like a peer or at least somebody that has a stake in this whole thing. I mean, that when I, when I coach 17 year olds, that, that is certainly a shift I've noticed. It's much more, Hey, I want to be consulted about why we are doing certain elements of our training a certain way when I'm, when I'm putting together workout plans for the runners, I coach that we have that conversation a lot. And there is much more of that interest, I think from Gen Z than there probably has been in the past. And, and that is going to change how coaches go about their jobs. And especially, I think this is true when you're going to get into the name image likeness stuff in the NCAA, you're going to have guys coming into the NFL that are used to having a brand that are used to uh, being empowered to a certain degree, the transfer portal helps with all of that stuff too. And it's going to be a lot harder for a coach to come in and say, I don't care who you are. You are one of 53. I'm running the show. I mean, it's going to be harder for college coaches to do that. It's certainly going to be harder. I think for NFL coaches to operate that way. And if you continue to try to do it, you better have a whole lot of success like Belichick, for example, or it's going to be hard for you to, to last and survive that way. Yeah, and just look across the uh, the market at the other football coach here. The reason we lost the taco bet, he is the exact opposite of Mike Zimmer. The the taco exact bet. opposite in PJ Fleck, elite go gophers, row the boats, Gayuma. He is <laughs> he is the exact opposite. The, yes. the the enthusiastic, run through a wall, motivated. He, they both, though, would like to probably fancy themselves fixers and motivators of men and all these things, but they go about it in such different ways, one being the way that's going to stick and last in this kind of way of coaching, and one, to Ben, what you're just saying, that that these young guys who are coming up through the NFL draft, that's what they're kind of getting used to. These young coaches coming up in college, getting all the money, getting all the recruiting, because recruiting is so powerful in college that coaching forefront is going to change faster and has changed faster than the NFL has. And so the players coming up are not used to this. Mike Zimmer, what Justin Jefferson's looking at Mike Zimmer. Like you want me to do what run block. Okay. All right. Well, I'll try run blocking for a little bit, but you better throw me the ball on third and goal and not run the ball um, from, you know, the five yard line or whatever. So I think Justin Jefferson calling out that approach in December and saying, we need to be more conservative as we get closer to the end zone. Like all that stuff, just I, I was asked a question on the radio the other day about like, what, what's the most important thing the Vikings need to, to look for in a coach? And I said, ask Justin Jefferson, because mm-hmm. that's really yep. the, only, the only opinion that I think the first opinion you should start with. Yeah, that of all of the guys on your roster, you want to try to keep happy. 
Justin Jefferson's at the top of the list. While the days are getting shorter, the nights are getting brighter at the Minnesota Zoo. Welcome to the second annual Nature Illuminated, presented by Wings Financial Credit Union. This narrated drive through experience will immerse you in an enchanting world of brilliant, oversized displays of your favorite zoo creatures, all illuminated in fantastical layers of light. This one-of-a-kind experience is truly wild, only at the Minnesota Zoo, December 2nd through January 16th. Reserve your tickets at mnzoo.org. Yeah, and especially, after you just, especially after you just made him mad because he didn't get him the record he wanted. Yeah. Oh man, <laughs> that was such just a, a, which, such a which, small thing. Well, I and, mean, and it's but and, and it's it's kind of dumb, like that it meant that much to him, and that it's the seventeenth game, not the sixteenth game, and that they ostensibly did try. If Kirk Cousins throws a different pass, he probably breaks that record. I don't think they had to try to break the record when they're up two touchdowns in the last minute, but that's another story for another day. Yeah, that's my rant. Yes, and and that that was just just a way to go out though with Zim and and Jefferson and a relationship that didn't seem to be super close and the relationships in general with the offensive staff, with the players, Mike and Kirk, Ben has talked about that at length in terms of what kind of drove them apart. Now COVID was just a, became a bigger and bigger wedge. It seemed um, at, at points to the 2021 season and their relationship. So um, before we kind of transition into looking forward and what's next for the Minnesota Vikings and how they're going to go about this search with the Wilfs, I want to ask you guys, is this the best opening in the NFL? There are seven head coaching openings, one in the playoffs currently, the Raiders, and three GM jobs between Minnesota, Chicago, and the Giants. I proposed this to Mike before we recorded that it's obviously the best GM job, I think, because of the ownership, because of the roster. And then for that reason, I think it's also the best head coaching job. Ben, what do you think? As far as the coaching job, I can tell you from what I've heard today, the opinion of people around the league is that, yes, it is the best one. Uh, you, The first thing that you talk about is the talent with guys like Justin Jefferson, Dalvin Cook, Daniil Hunter, presumably if he's healthy and you get the contract worked out. Uh, you have still Harrison Smith, at least for another year or two, Eric Kendricks for you know a little bit longer. You have young offensive linemen that if you figure things out with a couple of them, you could have that group for a while if they if you can get them to play well. Um, there's enough talent, and there's certainly some areas of the roster that need to be fixed, but there's enough talent to win reasonably quickly. You have state-of-the-art facilities. I mean, they, that practice facility is one of the two or three most ornate in the NFL. So you have that, you have a new stadium, you have ownership that will spend money, um, generally doesn't meddle a whole lot in terms of how things get done. So, yeah, I, I think it's getting that reputation as a job that everybody wants. And there's good reason for that. Now, you have some things to fight through and you have a lot of decisions to make. The cap situation is not great. But, yeah, I, I certainly would put it at or near the top of the list. Uh, of the six or seven coaching jobs that are open, then probably with the GM too. Yeah. Mike, what do you think? I think it's a good job. I like, I think the way Ben laid it out maybe changes my opinion a little bit, especially if that's what he's hearing from, you know, the people who are in the know of how this job is going to get filled, that maybe they will have more of their pick or close to it. Um, the, the, the ownership thing and oh, the ownership piece, the, the patience that the Wilfs have generally shown and, and the, the facilities are certainly a, a big piece of why it would be 
an attractive job. I feel like it's got less upside than other jobs just because I feel like they're kind of stuck in this middle ground. And it's hard for me to see how this iteration of the team competes for a championship anytime soon, just because they just haven't still figured out quarterback to the extent of, you know, a championship level quarterback. And and until that piece of it is solved and you can solve it awfully quick this off season, if you trade Kirk cousins, or it can be a, you know, a, a, a one year, you know, let's be relevant, but then let him walk kind of thing and, and move on from there. So it's not a, a forever question unless you make it a forever question by continuing to extend him for two or three years at a time. Um, the salary cap situation is problematic because I think that puts them in this kind of weird space of, are we going to try to win big right away? Or are we going to try to like be good for a year or two and then kind of hit reset? It doesn't, doesn't really feel like they have a direction right now. And that's the part of it that would worry me coming into that situation. And it's, you know, it'd be up to whoever took the job to, to chart that direction. But I, I feel like they, they're a lot of moves away from really being a serious contender versus some of these other openings where it's kind of a blank canvas and a lot of cap space and draft pick capital. Yeah. Let me ask you then pose it a different way. What is the most attractive opening then? Is it uh, Trevor Lawrence? Is it, is it the Raiders uh, with, with, their situation over there. I mean, I, I guess Denver would might be a close second, maybe. Yeah, Denver's pretty good, although the ownership group there is, you know, they're going through a new ownership group potentially there, right? So that's, you know, that's that could be a, a sticking point. I, I put them at the top of the list I did the other day. I think Jacksonville's pretty attractive if they can figure it out because you got a lot of money there. You got Trevor Lawrence. You've got another number one overall pick. You've got gobs of cap space. Like if you're just saying, I want to come in here and put my mark on a franchise and make it great. There's opportunities there for that. So I guess it kind of depends on, it's a little bit in the eye of the beholder, but I think Ben's right. This is a pretty attractive job. Ben, is it Denver? Because that's where Aaron Rodgers is going to go in 2022. Well, that would make it more attractive. <laughs> Cause I think if you're getting Aaron Rodgers, you're going to have Devonte Adams very interested in going there as well. So yeah, I mean, if that's where he ends up and it certainly seems like, well, their their head coaching interviews would suggest that they're very, very interested in making themselves a, an attractive landing spot for Aaron Rodgers. I don't I don't know if Aaron Rodgers is going to stay in Green Bay. I think the Packers certainly are sending signals they're more interested in that. I, I guess I still think in all likelihood this is it for him in Green Bay. But yeah, if if he ends up there, it makes it a lot more attractive. Now, um, the ownership thing with the Broncos is a big question because, you know, a lot of this, a lot of the reason the Vikings job is attractive, I think is the wills and the stability that comes with that. The fact that they will spend money. They, they have not at any point really said no to any requests to say, you know, let's upgrade this or that, or this part of the roster, they want to win and they're willing to spend to do it. So, um, the, the strike on the Broncos would be just you don't know who the owner is going to be. Maybe it turns out great, but you don't know that until somebody buys a team. And if you're a coach or trying to take that job, I think that's uh, one of the big unknowns there. All right. Well, the Wilfs are embarking on a general manager and coaching search that they say is going to run congruently, concurrently, not congruently, right? Concurrently. Um, going to run concurrently. Uh, at the same time, uh, but that they're going to hire the general manager first, and that general manager will have the input on whomever the head coach is. So, Ben, if 
they're going that about that general manager search that way. Rick Spielman's gone. He's not part of it. He's not holding their hand through the process. Who is guiding them through this process? Well, um, I, Rob Brzezinski is a big part of it from what I've heard. Um, Andrew Miller, the COO is going to be involved at least, at least in the vetting process. I think, um, the, the top people in the personnel department, Jamal Stevenson and Ryan Munnins are, are involved. That's the other two names I've kind of heard. And then obviously Mark Welch is going to be a big part of it as well. Um, yeah, I'm sure they're going to look at people they know around the league and, and uh, people they've worked with in the past to try to help send some names that way. I've, I've heard one thing today that I don't have completely nailed down yet, but you know, people they know, people they've worked with in the past um, that may be in a position to know some coaches you can, you can probably figure that out from where I'm going with it. Um, people that have uh, worked fairly recently with in the fairly recent past um, that may be in that position now. So that may be in the position of no coaches, I guess I'm saying, but a lot of this is going to come down to when they get in that interview room, I'm very curious to find out, you know, who's, who's going to be leading that process. Who's going to be, um, uh, kind of the person that that runs the show the person whose opinion outranks everybody else it's i suppose it's mark wilf but yeah just the flow of all of that i'm i'm curious to hear what we find out about that yeah they're not going to go with the search committee nope. uh, in terms of the outside search committee or search firm good for um, them i say on that front <laughs> they're not going to overspend for a bunch of people to produce a list of names that they probably could have figured out themselves yes um, they're going to go ahead and figure out those names and i do find it funny how quickly twitter if you would turn on twitter you would think that the bears are going about this the right way when george mccaskey sounds like he has no idea what he's doing i thought mark wolf at least sent across a clear message of what they're looking for even if he was intentionally vague and not wanting to pigeonhole themselves in any kind of category but among the criteria he kept coming back to for what they're looking for in these two spots. He kept saying, quote, strong leaders, strong communicators, and strong collaborators. And Mike, I think that goes back to just what we were talking about earlier of the issues that the players had with the previous leadership. Yeah, I think so. I think that's, you know, if you're, listen, it's, it's a player-driven league more than it ever has been. And if you want players to be happy, which I think you do ultimately, and, you know, you want to have success, you're going to listen at least to some of what they're saying, and, and you know, at least the style of coach they want, and how they how the you know, general manager, and how they want, you know, how they want their day to day experience to be. So I think, yeah, a lot of that will inform, you know, who they hire. Probably more as a head coach than a GM. I think a GM is maybe less, you know, less interaction day to day. You probably you know, maybe needs to have a a certain touch around that. And then, but you know, I think that's more of a head coach question than anything. But you know, the GM probably sets a certain culture and runs the draft and has a certain, you know, type of player he's going to pick. And that's kind of your first relationship probably. So both of those things are, are, are pretty important. And, you know, in, in that respect, Ben, the more I heard Mark Wolf talk about again, vaguely who they were looking for, the more I thought that sounds a lot like Kevin Stefanski. Yeah, I, I agree. I, when you're talking about communicators, collaborators, yeah. I, I think that's right. And I think we'll see probably somebody in that vein in terms of probably younger, uh, probably a little more of a uh, consensus builder, or at least a, uh, somebody that can, can get 
a number of opinions and, and kind of get people on board with their way of thinking rather than saying, this is how we're going to do it. And, you know, if you don't like it too bad, I'm running the show. I, I don't think we're going to see that approach again. Um, and it does make you wonder they stuck by Zimmer, they stuck by Spielman, but when you had really probably the succession plan sitting right there with George Payton and Kevin Stefanski, and you stuck with Spielman and Zimmer after a, you know, we win a playoff game against the saints in the first round. I mean, that the way that they sort of reacted to that and the way that that was almost used as vindication for everything they were doing in retrospect may have not been the right decision because, you know, I remember Zimmer walking around after that. I think he did an interview with Deion Sanders after that game talking about, I shouldn't have to put up with this crap in terms of speculation about my job because I just want a playoff game. It's like, well, yeah, you did. But um, winning a playoff game every couple of years is not this sort of trophy to hold up to say, I'm bulletproof because I want a playoff game. And you wonder how much that victory would have changed things if they had lost a game or if people would have seen it as, yeah, you know what? It's great. But uh, a lot of these questions and concerns we have that were bubbling up a lot of that speculation at the time are valid and we need to move on. And the differences in how at least publicly Mike Zimmer and Matt Nagy handled their exits in either their respective cities, I think said a lot about how they were bracing for it or weren't bracing for it in the case of Mike Zimmer, because I, I think he had the look of a new, no, I think he did on Sunday. Sorry. I think he did on Sunday, but Matt Nagy's was he, the dude knew for week, like yeah. maybe like six weeks. Like he had known and was very graceful in the face of getting canned. And Mike Zimmer was going out with just one, a one finger salute to the sky, basically. And, and not two. They're both, they're both up. <laughs> and not even letting Justin Jefferson get a record, you know, like that just to me was just a defiant, like, screw you. This is my, I'm, I'm a coach. This is the last, last thing I can do just because you know what? I can do it. Yeah. Um, and because and if, if I'm going you know, down, I'm taking a Rick with me. Let's transition to the mailbag here because it does get into some topics that we're already discussing here. Um, somebody wants to know, is there any possibility of assistant coaches sticking around? Now, to my understanding, and as we've been told, they're still in the building. It was just Mike Zimmer and Rick Spielman let go. Ben just listed out all of the front office people who are helping lead the search for the new, the new boss who will presumably interview them to stick around. Um, after a new regime takes over. So assistant coaches who are still under contract are still on the building. And even the ones who aren't, they have like a, is it a two week hold basically in, into the off season? Typically. Yeah. And so they're still sticking around as well, but they can interview with other places if the Wilfs let them. And it sounds like the Wilfs are letting coaches interview elsewhere, uh, regardless of their contract status. And that's, that's just the nice thing to do. Right. The thing yeah. too, that Mike Zimmer didn't do very often for his staff. Yep. Yep. And I mean, that's, man, I, as we talk about this, there's so many of these things that, um, I mean, the Kevin Stefanski one people know, but here's the other one. Drew Petzing, who was at the time, their assistant wide receivers coach, I think had an opportunity to go either to Indianapolis, if I recall, um, or to Carolina, probably to join North Turner at the time. One of them was a parallel move. One of them was a promotion to be the wide receivers coach. It was the same year as Stefanski. Zimmer also blocked that. And then Petzing eventually joined Stefanski, of course, in Cleveland, where I believe he still is. But yeah, it was it was that stuff of and the 
the motivation for it that I had heard was I got blocked when I was coming up, when I was a DB coach in Dallas and nobody let me go jump to be a defensive coordinator. I had to pay my dues. So you're going to have to do it too. I, I had somebody tell me that year, I remember sitting at the combine and somebody said, you should go ask Mike if he was ever blocked. He said, I would be very interested to hear what he would tell you with that. And I said, I'm assuming the answer is yes. And that person said, yeah, it was. And he still, a lot of that resentfulness about it still was motivating some of the things he was doing with his own coaches. So, um, yeah, it's just, you, you think back to all of these things that you hear over the years and, and that you kind of file away. And yeah, the whole, the whole puzzle is, as Andrew put it, comes together and it's like, yeah, it's uh, kind of a tough place to work. It sounds like. And then Zimmer wanted to talk about loyalty and how, um, what was his thing? What was his line about loyalty? Um, uh, it was something about if I'm going to, well, I don't fire everybody when we have a bad year offensively. So if I'm going to be loyal to them, then they should not be disloyal to me. It was like a double negative thing that it was in the, in the Stefanski stuff. And from what I was told in the combine that year too, Stefanski had gotten over it by that point. It was kind of like, okay, yeah, I'm bummed. Cause it was right around the Super Bowl that, they were that Pat Shermer was leaving. They were talking to John D. Filippo. In fact, they talked to John D. Filippo in Philadelphia the day of the Eagles Super Bowl parade, which is when they gave him the job. So this had all sort of blown over by the combine. And then Zimmer goes out and I mean, this is the first time we had talked to him. So it's the first time he gets asked about it and he says what he says. And that sort of opened up the, the whole thing over again. <laughs> Stefanski was like, from what I was told by people who talked to him, it's like, man, I I was over it. Like, we're cool. It's fine. I get it. Just don't go bringing it up again. <laughs> don't reignite the whole thing. Zimmer just couldn't help himself sometimes. You open up a yeah. mic, put it in front of him, and, and he would just kind of let that pour out. But yeah, the loyalty thing was whole. I think the, the whole gist of it was, why would I let anybody leave after one good year when I don't fire everybody after one bad year? It would be a little hard to fill your coaching staff if you did that every year. Yeah. That's, that's the guy. uh, That's the guy with the personal touch that Eric Hendricks and Brian O'Neill were referencing Um, in terms of coaches sticking around. I mean, I think there's, I was talking to Mike about this before the podcast too. It's all going to depend on the new leadership, obviously. Um, But then too, it's going to depend on relationships as well. I would think if, if the new leadership gets the gist of, yeah, you know, Justin Jefferson really likes Keenan McCardell. Yeah. Um, why, why would you make a switch unless the coach has some strong feeling or a buddy that he has to get a job for, um, to, to come in and take that job. Or like with, if Andre Patterson even entertained the thought of sticking around as defensive line coach, that might help with a guy like Daniel Hunter, for yeah. instance, Yeah. if, if the new leadership thought that was something, but I think we need to have that domino fall before you would even start to speculate on who's a fit to stick around long-term. Yeah, but you're right. There are those sort of chips they can play. Um, and the tricky thing is going to be, well, I guess with a guy like McCardell, he's still under contract, and I'd have to think about where Andre Patterson falls. They're typically on two-year contracts. So if you're through year eight, theoretically he's out of contract in, in a few days here. I'm not sure if, if any of that would have changed when he got various promotions. But, yeah, I mean, I, I you're going to have to figure that out in terms of, if guys are out of contract and go somewhere else, but some of these jobs, like you mentioned, 
are probably worth extending the olive branch. I mean, the, the phrase that kind of came to mind as we're talking about all this stuff with Zimmer is pick your battles. And this feels like a spot where if you can do something to keep Justin Jefferson happy, if you can do something to make the contract negotiations that are not that far away with Justin Jefferson a little easier, just go do it. I mean, I, I think that's a small, uh, small favor to, to grant for the potential payoff. Yeah. Uh, Mike, you got any questions? Uh, well, Danny had one on direct, direct message I can get to. We talked about this some already, but he was saying um, the Zimmer firing thing isn't surprising. The culture stuff is there's a narrative for a few years there that players wanted to play for Zimmer with, you know, Barr returning, Hunter taking a team-friendly deal to stay. Were the culture issues in Zimmer's relationship or lack of relationships with players a known secret for a while? And I think you guys addressed that some already, but I thought it was interesting that, you know, fans are picking up on that as well. Yeah, and, and he did just mention there the two guys who I think had very close personal relationships in the building. One, Barr with Zimmer, who, again, Barr was like the only guy, the loudest voice defending Zimmer on the way out. And they um, had their run-ins over the years. Yeah. Oh, I mean, of course. Did he, call him, yeah. did he say he coasted? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he has a tendency to coast was the phrase. Yeah, so so absolutely. I'm not trying to say that it wasn't without some kind of rockiness, but clearly yeah. Barr is going out feeling better about Mike yep. Zimmer than Eric Hendricks, for instance, which did surprise me. I don't know about you, Ben, but I didn't hear anything about Kendricks. Yeah. And we're probably, you know, some of this stuff gets exaggerated. Some of this stuff gets oversimplified in the, in the uh, process of all of it coming out after the fact. And, and that's, we're going to write about it more later this week. Um, and I, I, when I'm sitting there thinking through it, you do have to be, somewhat nuanced in how you talk about it because there are players that liked him. There are players that responded well to him. There are players that he probably made better, but like anything, the relationship runs its course. And, and I think uh, you, you heard a lot of it that like we're saying, especially when you start losing, that takes a lot of that salve away from the, the wounds that have maybe opened over the years. And, and so that's bar for one. And number two, he mentioned he brought up to Neil Hunter, who was very close with Andre Patterson. And that was the big yeah. reason why Andre wanted to stay, or excuse me, Daniil wanted to stay in Minnesota. And I mean, I could even mention more about that because with Daniil's relationship, that yeah, you, Andre, talk, you talked with him quite a bit before the yeah, season. And, and Andre was the, the big reason. Andre was the one that stayed in touch with him all throughout yeah. that 2020 season after the neck injury. Daniil was mentally not in a great place. He had been through a lot. He was already kind of going through a lot. Uh, according to at least one person close to him before the neck injury, he was already going through just a weird mental space with where the country was at, right? Like we're yeah. all. Yeah. And so then the neck injury happens. And so he gets spun down even into a deeper spiral. His family's staying with him out in Los Angeles. Uh, Andre Patterson's the only guy who's really calling him from the team. And Daniil would call Andre as well. And they would have that relationship throughout, but part of what bothered Daniil up until he actually decided to get that surgery was that Mike Zimmer never really talked to him. Yep, Mike I Zimmer well. cared about the guys in the building. Mike Zimmer cared about who was there to play for him. And I mm -hmm. think that rubbed Daniil a little bit the wrong way. And I didn't get Daniil on the record saying that, but from people close to him, it sounds like Daniil wasn't happy about that. Daniil was more than willing to talk about his relationship with Andre and yeah. was very open about that. And I think that is why Daniil takes that contract. I, I think if he didn't have that relationship with Andre, 
I don't know if he feels that way about coming back to play for Rick Spielman and Mike Zimmer um, the same way that he did. So I, I think these things are layered. They're complicated. It's not just, well, it's because Zimmer runs the Vikings. That's why these guys wanted to come back. He had the right assistance on staff at times, whether it was Tony Sperano, whether it was um, Andre Patterson throughout his time there that helped go through a lot of these ups and downs. And, and I think that was a big reason um, why, but yeah, we, like the Kendricks thing, that one, that one surprised me. I don't know what's going on there, but Kendrick said, you got to ask Zimmer and yeah. good luck with that. Yeah. I don't think that's going to happen. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, and the thing I would say too, Tony Sperano was, and Andre Patterson is um, kind of old school. I mean, both of those guys are, are not what I would consider to be, um, I mean, they're certainly not younger coaches and they're not necessarily um, guys that are afraid of, of being hard on players and, and being critical and all of that stuff. But they sort of understood the um, build them up side of things, too. And, I, you know, people that talk about Parcells over the years, too, that he, he sort of understood the carrot and the stick kind of approach. Uh, if it's all just the stick all the time, I, that gets a little hard, I think, to to respond to. Being able to kind of love guys up a little bit is um, – that's a lot of what I think Kendricks and O'Neill were talking about the other day, and, and we've heard it a lot. I mean, the other guy that we've heard, the relationship was not very good, and it's an important – it's a really important one is Kirk Cousins. Uh, that, that was a problem really from day one, probably since before that, because we've all gone back to the things that Zimmer – kind of said prophetically at the 2018 combine, but a lot of that relationship just, it never clicked. They, they aren't similar people. And it was actually the reason it got better was cousins going to Zimmer and saying, let's meet every week and go over film and just talk about things that are going on with the team. It's, I mean, Zimmer talked a lot this season about how those things helped. And, and I think tried to take a lot of credit for those meetings, but that was, I mean, make no mistake. Zimmer said it, cousins said it that was cousins going to him and saying, Hey, why don't we do this to try to improve our relationship a little bit? And that relationship was in a pretty rough spot before the season because of all the vaccine stuff, because of the COVID stuff. Um, some of it is just having that ability to say, you know what? I need to do a little bit here to get this guy on my side. And it's that investment of 30 minutes or a, a 10 minute conversation or a hello in the hallway can go a long way. Mike, Antonio wants to know, have we seen the last of Daniel Hunter in a Vikings uniform? Um, we're going to talk a lot about certainly his future and a lot of guys uh, who face uncertain contract futures with the Vikings as the, the new regime takes over. But what do you think? Do you think Daniel showed enough in the games that he was healthy that this is the kind of the same kind of player that you pay for? I think he did. The problem is he's just missed so much time the last two years. And if you're in a salary cap problem already is that the kind of person you, you know, type of player you know, type of person absolutely is that the type of player you want to invest in with a, with a significant amount of injury risk there you know from from what we've seen the last two years so it, it's going to be really interesting to see you know how they go about all of this what what the new regime really thinks of this do they do they see it as more of a uh, teardown is probably the wrong word, but they, do they see more of a rebuild than Mark Wilf would like to see? Um, or do they look at this roster and say, lots to build around here. Um, we just need to, you know, kind of fine tune, you know, five to seven things, make some hard decisions. And that might be one of those hard decisions um, that, that you do have to make because 
you know, as good as Daniil Hunter is, there, there's no longer, aside from Andre Patterson, potentially, um, you know, the interesting thing now becomes you don't have Rick Spielman here anymore who is, you know, attached in a certain way to his own draft pick. Someone comes in with a fresh set of eyes and says, I've got no emotional or professional investment in these guys other than to evaluate what we need to do going forward. Yeah, there might be a new starting center for the Minnesota Vikings. Um, ben, 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 I didn't think about this till Mike just said it, but I guess one of the downsides, if there is a downside to this head coaching opening on a broader spectrum is that the Wilfs have made, or Mark Wilf made no bones about it. Like the expectations are remaining somewhat high here. It's not going to be, Hey, take this job and we'll give you three years to make the playoffs necessarily. Yeah. I mean, and the tricky thing with that is sometimes you do need to tear it down and they have, I've, I've thought about this and written about it a little bit. They have been in win now mode for since, since the Wilfs bought the team, you could argue for like all but one year. I mean, 2011 was the only year they weren't. Yes. yes. All of those years of let's sign guys like Travis Taylor and Chester Taylor and uh, Devin Aroma and who are the other guys like these early free agents? I mean, it's trading for Jared, Jared, Greg Jennings. Well, yeah. I mean, I'm kind of going even before that, but obviously the Brett Favre all in stuff. Pat Williams. I mean, it's been, let's add veterans. Let's trade draft picks for veterans. Um, let's have Bring a back Randy roster. Moss. Bring back Randy Moss. Yeah. I mean, all of that stuff. And then eventually you kind of hit rock bottom and you say, okay, forget it. We have to try to go rebuild this thing the right way. And then they go draft and develop. And, but then you get to the playoffs one year and then it's go sign Greg Jennings. It's uh, let's keep adding in free agency to the overall process. And they, they did have a lot of success in the draft from 2012 to certainly 2015, but they have been in win now mode, especially at the quarterback position for a really, really long time. And this is going to be the question is that, can you, can you pick 15th every year and find the quarterback? I mean, I guess you can, Justin Herbert would tell you that, you can, he was picked in that range, but um, you got to get it right. And that's, I think a little harder to do when you're picking in the middle of the draft. Uh, Scott wants to know familiarity is often valued in team and league circles. That said, is it an oversimplification to say if Brown, the assistant front office personnel guy with the Eagles is the GM is the coach, then Doug Peterson. And then he's saying the same thing goes with the Cowboys. If they were to hire a Cowboys assistant, would it obviously mean, Kellen Moore. Um, ben, yeah, when, names. How how quick? No, but I, no. It, how quickly do the dominoes fall? I guess in your estimation of if, if the GM is hired, um, I I think it makes sense, right? It only makes sense that you would want these guys to be on the same page. Yeah. So I don't think you can really overvalue that familiarity here when we're speculating about it. Yeah, I I think that's true, um, and. You can always, I think this early on, you can always figure some of the interviews are, they may be about guys they are serious about. They may be about guys who know people that they're serious about for other openings and they want to um, get an audience with those people to eventually get to the next guy. But those are two of the names I've heard. Will McClay um, from the Cowboys and uh, Brendan Brown from the Eagles. And Peterson, from what I was told, um, just in the last half hour has not the Vikings have not 
reached out to set up an interview with him yet. Um, that doesn't mean they won't. I, I think he's very interested in the job. Like I said, this is a very, very desirable job. Head coaches are seeing head coaching candidates certainly see it that way. But uh, as of yet, they haven't talked to him about the job. And um, so, I mean, it, it could still put him in the mix, but those are Brown and, and McClay are two of the names that I've heard. The other ones um, being uh, Kowisi Adolfo Mensa from Cleveland uh, Ed Dodds from Indianapolis and um, Trent Kirchner from St. John's University in Collegeville, Minnesota. Uh, currently, the Seattle Seahawks uh, director of pro personnel, I believe. This is uh, agent interest season, certainly, uh, with the anonymous sourcing going on throughout the league. But there was something that came out of Dallas that said Kellen Moore would be interested in the Vikings head coaching opening. And I was like, no kidding. Did they just put up a picture of Justin Jefferson next to Dalvin Cook? Because <laughs> no, if you look, coaches, I would think would look at this and say, oh, they, I can, uh, I could have some fun with that. It, it does align a little bit, doesn't it? In terms of like when the Wolves say they're not, I know they say they're not going to, you know, you know, say paint by numbers and say, we have to have this kind of coach. However, Ben, wouldn't you be shocked if they brought in Brian Flores, a defensive disciplinarian yeah. who just got sent out of Miami? Yeah. That's why I'm kind of sitting here when they, you know, rolling my eyes when, when you quote them saying that I, I would be very surprised if it's not an offensive coach or somebody that has a really, really good offensive coordinator candidate lined up because that has to be job one is, are we paying Kirk Cousins? Can we stick with Kirk Cousins? If not, what's our plan after Kirk Cousins? Maybe you should get off the podcast. I mean, that would be the first thing if I'm in those interviews, and I obviously won't be. That's the first thing I'm asking is, what do you think of our quarterback situation? What do you think of Kirk Cousins? What do you think of Kellen Maude? What is your plan at this spot? No, because this this team needs to pivot to an offensive identity based on their talent right now. And that was part 100%. of the problem with the last two or three years is that as they invested more on the offensive side of the ball, their identity didn't really change. It was still Zimmer true. wanting to be a defensive first team. And if you were going to lean into your strengths, you're absolutely right. It has to be someone right who either who is of that mind or who pays attention at least to that side of the ball and has a really good offensive coordinator in mind. All right, let's end with the chicken fingers statement of the week. Brought a question this time. It says, I'm sure you guys will receive a number of very similar Vikings GM and coach questions. I'll veer off track a little bit. Is there anybody on the current Vikings roster who strikes you as a potential future NFL coach or general manager? Um, that's as that's a, a player. Yeah. Yes. That's anybody on the current roster. That strikes you. Good question. I got to think about that for a minute. Because I thought there's a lot of guys that could do it that are yeah. smart enough, certainly, but the the kind of wanting to stick around the game and work, that's what you hear from players all the time. It's like you ask them, do you want to do it? And they say, I don't want that life. Like, yeah, I, I worked for, let's say it was somebody who was in the NFL, NFL for 10 years, and I saw coaches who were there longer than I was. Why do I want to go into retirement and then work even more? Um, Terrence Newman was, was kind of dragged into it by Mike Zimmer for a year and then was like, nah, no. <laughs> we're good. Well, yeah. And it's, it's the thing of, I mean, I remember talking to Andre Patterson about this and I remember him telling his son or telling me that he told his son, AC, you don't want this life, man. Like, cause his son was showing interest in it. And his son of course is now on the Viking staff, but he said, you, you know, you, you've seen it. You're moving every couple of years. You're gone all the time. You don't see your family. You're working 
15, 16 hours a day. Like you don't want to do that. Don't, don't follow me into this path. And lo and behold, he did, but that's the life of a coach. You get fired. I mean, Keenan McCardo was a great NFL player for an awfully long time. And now is doing this thing where he's bouncing around to different teams and who you were as a player does not buy you 10 years of job security in the same place and the ability to write your own ticket. It just doesn't work that way. So yeah, you have to want to go do the grind of that whole process. So, I mean, that's the big question of who would want to do it. I guess the name that comes to mind, um, and I don't have any idea if he'd actually want to, and maybe not at the NFL level, but I could see Adam Thielen being interested in that. I mean, he's a guy that has already taken a lot of interest in younger players in some of the the workouts he does in the offseason with high school players. I could see him being the type that would say, I, I built a career by doing a lot of the little things that you're going to have to do. And I want to be able to teach that and give it back to younger players. That was the first name that, that I settled on as well, because I, I first went to Harrison Smith and thought, I don't think he wants to do it. I don't think he wants that grind. Yeah. And then, um, I also just thought of Patrick Peterson just because for yeah. one year I could, I could see him doing it just because he does, uh, I think fancy himself a leader of, of men. So I could see him wanting to be in front of the room Patrick that Peter- way. End up calling games. Say that again. I think Patrick Peterson's going to end up on TV. Oh, I could see that too. Yeah, absolutely. So, so they're going to have offers to do that. I would bet. So I don't know. I Mike also, we also batted around Kirk cousins, but I was like, eh, maybe high school. I could see a high school in Michigan. Yeah. You bet. Yeah, you batted around. You batted around Kirk cousins. I batted down Kirk cousins. <laughs> <laughs> Is Sean Mannion maybe? Uh, well, that was actually a name that came yeah. into my head. Of if he's so smart, I mean, a lot of times, you know, you see, I don't know how many specific examples of this there are, but I guess Kellen Moore is probably one of them. Like a lot of the up and coming young head coaches or coordinators were kind of marginal to okay NFL players, which puts them in the top one, top point one percent of all quarterbacks. But you know, they they weren't necessarily the best. In the league, I mean, Byron Leftwich had a fine career, but he's not the Peterson. Wasn't, wasn't the greatest quarterback. Doug Peterson, Jason another Garrett. example. What's that? Jason Garrett. Yeah, I, I guess <laughs> he, had his, he had his moment. The Packers on Thanksgiving Day. That one. He time. just wasn't much of a coach. I meant, but you know, no, in terms I mean, of he had, had a decent run there. But but yes, like those those are the guys that end up being that end up being pretty good, or that end up getting the want that that they've they've kind of been the quote unquote coach on the field for so long that they kind of see the game that way. So maybe that's a, maybe that's a different way to go. All right, guys, that that'll be it. Ben, unless you've got anything more. The only other one oh, that I, just... the only other one go that ahead. I saw was the only other one that I saw was the guy wondering how we're going to end the show. Now that Zimmer's gone. <laughs> <laughs> that's a great question. We need, you know what? We need the uh, new leadership to step in and, and lead for us and provide yeah. us with the, with the content that we're going to need to end the future ones. In the meantime, we are not going to have any sounders ending our access Vikings podcast, but you can find all of We're our retiring work. it. We're retiring to get off the podcast. Oh, he's, he's gone. He's gone. No, I don't know. He's, are we? He's, I, I'm retiring it. I, keeping I, it in memoriam. I think I'm retiring it as a uh, daily thing or weekly thing, but okay. it, it can make an appearance in the episodes where we're not discussing the terrible workplace culture that Mike Zimmer <laughs> Uh, had just instilled in the Vikings. If we ever reference old Zim, we can drop it in there at any point. I'm certainly not deleting the file. It's because him saying things like that was an example of it. So that's actually a great. It's a little meta. That actually is true. That actually is true. Ah, crap! (laughs) Crap! You're right. 
All right. All right. I'm going to edit it in right when we talk about Kirk Cousins and Zimmer. I'll drop it in right in there. Okay. Yes. There you go. Maybe <laughs> maybe it'll be it'll become more like a like an Easter egg than it'll be the end of the show. You can just drop it into little points in the podcast. Kind of like the Farve accent is or the Farve person yeah. becomes. Exactly. So, good on air production meeting. <laughs> yeah. All right, guys. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Access Vikings podcast and this production meeting of the Access Vikings podcast. Please check out all of our work at StarTribune.com, including Ben's story on Sunday regarding much of what we just talked about.